The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. Good day, America. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the boat rockers in the house, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns you about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so. SonsOfLibertyRadio.com and also SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of the radio and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, that's right, you can see the face that's made for radio, head over to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. And there you're going to see two videos at the top of the page. The one on the left side is Bradley's show from Saturday, two hours worth of Bradley Dean. So if you missed that and you'd like to catch it, you can do so up until 3 p.m. Eastern today, which time he'll be live in that area. On the right side of the page, that's where we're at. Click on the play button, blow it up on whatever device you got. Look for the rumble icon, bottom right-hand corner. Click on that. Join us in the chat. We've got a lot of friends over there this morning. Good morning. Good to see you guys. And uh, while you're over there, please subscribe to the channel, Sons of Liberty Radio Live. Sons of Liberty Radio Live on Rumble. And then we're also on BeforeIt'sNews.com, top of the page over there. Uh, we have Michael Roach and his team to thank for that, and so we appreciate them very much for letting us uh, broadcast on their platform, which reaches quite a bit of people, by the way. And uh, so that's why we're there. And by the way, you know, I know there's there's lots of people. Uh, so why are you guys over there? Well, we're over there because we have opportunity. We have, we have opportunity to be, and you know what? We're going to be wherever the Lord opened the door. <laughs> you know, if it's ten people that come on there, or if it's five. Um, if any of you guys ever knew me through the years, numbers was never an issue. Plant church. Go plant a church and find out how, how well your mega church attitude really works in that. Because uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna be there and your desire is to uphold the word of God and and to grow a, a small flock in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, well, let me tell you something. <clears throat> you're probably not gonna have a lot of uh, people banging down your door to get in there. I mean, it's just at least at the first, it's not gonna be like that. It's a struggle. You're planting seeds. You're hoeing. You're watering. You're doing all that stuff. You're pulling weeds. So uh, uh, I'm thankful that there's anybody listening. I, I really am. Uh, and if you're listening, you're listening because in God's providence, you're listening. Plain and simple. Plain and simple. And uh, so I hope all of this is going to be helpful for you. Right up under where we're streaming live on SonsOfLibertyMedia.com is where you can sign up for our email newsletter. Again, that goes out once a day, late afternoon, early evening. 
and uh, that includes all the articles we have for the Sons of Liberty, including the Morning Show archive. So you guys be sure and check that out. And then finally, I want to make sh- I want to make um, mention because uh, we are highlighting uh, Bradley's second book uh, this year. <laughs> he wrote three of them this year. Busy boy. Says so he's not a writer, but um, you know, you know, I don't think many. I don't think most writers are writers. I think they have other people write their books, don't they? <laughs> Bradley actually does write it. <laughs> so uh, whether you're a writer by trade or profession, whatever the case may be, uh, doesn't mean God can't use you in that capacity. He certainly is doing that. This is um, all the prophets were pointing to the front. Uh, this is Bradley's latest that's out. Uh, we've, there's another one in the works that's set to be published uh, called Children of the Apostate. That'll be out, I don't know, maybe within a month, maybe. Depends. Um, but all the prophets were pointing to the front. Ten dollars in our store. You can still get Soldier of the Cross. That's still in our store, in mixed in with a bundle. There's a shirt and dog tag that you can pick uh, in that, along with the shirt. Those start at thirty-four dollars, uh, and then the Soldier of the Cross book is also ten dollars as well. So be sure and check those out in the store. As many of you have gotten them, uh, you've gotten them to give. Um. <laughs> no, my grandson didn't do that. I went to bed last night. With them on, I went to lay down and I had them on my my uh, by blue screen protector glasses, and I took them off and I was looking for them here and it was just too late. Everything was going on. I was setting things up and music was going. Countdown was happening and I didn't put them on. So no, I didn't. Uh, I was going to put my regular glasses on, but boy, close up. I, I don't know how old these glasses are that I have here, but. I probably need a new uh, prescription. I, I would rather find something. I know there are things out there that you can do um, that will fix your eyesight. You can do certain exercises, and you fix your eyesight and things. And so and I've tried some of those. I've got the pinhole glasses. I love. I actually like the pinhole glasses. Uh, they work. Cheap, and they work. It's really interesting. You, Yeah. Because I can't see far away, um, and... Uh, so yeah, it, but but the doctor years ago when I took uh, my oldest daughter to get glasses, um, the, I asked the doctor. I said, you know, I have glasses, but I don't wear them most time because I'm not doing something that really requires it. And he goes, that's better for you because your eyes become dependent upon the glasses rather than the glasses helping you. They weaken your eyes. Now you can see, but they weaken your eyes because they make your eyes dependent upon it. Now my eyes probably are about the same as they were when I was. 20 or so, but I, I don't know. Maybe they're a little worse. But the fact that uh, that was going on, that's one thing. Okay, I want to start out the show with something that'll make you smile. Okay? Even you guys on the radio, it, this is going to make you smile. It's a video, but you'll hear the, you'll hear what's going on. And the catch is this. It's a, it's a little over three minutes. It's just a little music. Okay? But let's start off the week. Uh, you know, we were talking the other day. Uh, I, I was speaking with somebody, and they said, you know, they, we, we talked about a merry heart, you know, and we talk about laughter and how it's like a, a, me, a good medicine for the soul. Um, and a lot of times on this show, you know, we're, we're so serious. And look, we should be serious. We should be sober-minded. The Bible calls us to be that. But it also says there's a time for everything under heaven. And that includes laughter, and that includes music, and that includes a time for joy and rejoicing. And uh, I got this, this, some of you guys may have seen this little guy. 
He's like three years old. He is in the midst of an orchestra, and he's leading them. This little man is on the drums, okay? This is the, this little man is on the drums, and uh, you, you just got to gotta hear it to believe it. Check it out. is getting it too. is three years old, three years old. Dad's telling him what to do for you guys on the radio. <laughs> He's got to pause there for a second. <laughs> oh, you got to love that. You got to love it. I mean, I, you know, I'm going to tell you, music is a beautiful gift that God has given us. Uh, frequencies, vibrations, all you guys who are about that, music is a great 
deal for that. In fact, you read some of these great composers, classical music and stuff, you, you'll find some of them would write their compositions for Sunday morning. I believe it was Sebastian Bach who did that. I, I, I could be wrong. But he, he composed the things that he did musically to be played on Sunday morning. That's why they were so intricate. He wanted, he wanted music that honored the God who created music. And here's this little three-year-old kid, and I'm sitting here the whole time thinking, the kingdom of heaven is like these little guys. That's what Jesus says. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like these little people right here. Do you know why he's so good? Three years old? Yeah, I think there's some natural inclination that God gives certain people musically. I I really do think that that's the case. It's because he gives himself to it. I'll guarantee you, if you go home and you watch this kid at home, he's playing the drums a couple hours a day. That, that's what he gives himself to. Uh, you know, whatever you give yourself to, is that's, that's what you become really good at doing. If you give yourself at being lazy, guess what you're going to be? You're going to be really good at being lazy. Yeah. If you give yourself to... Whatever you're studying, whatever you're putting yourself in, you're going to be really good at that knowledge and understanding of what you're doing there. And uh, here's a little man who's doing that. Okay, so this morning, what I wanted to do, and I, I got to tell you, um, you know, yesterday, um, I, I can't tell you how thankful I am for uh, the elders at my church, uh, Bethany Associated Reformed Presbyterian Church over here. Um, especially our teaching elder, Benjamin Glasser, uh, every week I come in and Ben just goes through the Scripture. We go through a passage in the Old Testament, we go through a passage in the New Testament. And um, he just has a simple way of explaining, here's what the Scriptures say and what's going on, and then here's the application. And as we were sitting yesterday during the Sabbath school and we were talking about Ecclesiastes, which we've been on for several weeks now, uh, actually, I want to say several months. Uh, we've been in the book of Ecclesiastes, and I got to thinking. He made mention of he made mention of the ascension, and to me, the the ascension of Jesus Christ is one of the most important doctrines in Scripture. But you hardly hear it preached. And why is it important? Listen, friends, if Jesus didn't ascend back to the Father the way he said, then you have no reason to believe anything else he said. But he did. And there's evidence that he did. There's evidence that he did. Now, for people who might poo-poo this right off the bat, go back and watch my interview with Bob Sisson. Uh, I still haven't got a note as to whether the app is out yet. I don't know if you guys have in the chat. Uh, for the Gospel and the Stars deal, or, or I think it's called the Holy Stars app. I think that's what it's called, Holy Stars app, but it's the Gospel and the Stars. And if God formed the Gospel and the Stars, that was the the very first Gospel, even before he proclaimed it in Genesis 3.15, um, the unspoken Gospel, the unwritten Gospel, if you will. If that is indeed true, and I think it is, um, then we see the work of redemption that God did uh, in the Scriptures on behalf of sinful men. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to take you through several passages of Scripture. 
Again, we're going to read in context. I'm going to be reaching out to my friend Charles uh, up in New Hampshire. I, I, I'm going to see if Charlie uh, would be interested in coming on the show with me uh, to do an episode. And the reason I say that, Charlie um, has been a, a great encouragement. We only had a couple of emails and a couple of phone calls together. But he's an older man. And I told him the other day, I said, you, he says, oh, you, you're such an encouragement to me, you know, talking about some of the things that we talked about last week and stuff. But I got to tell you, coming from an older man who's been a preacher of many years, uh, what an encouragement. What an encouragement. And I think you guys would enjoy hearing Charlie. Uh, he is, uh, he is, even though he, and I don't know, I don't know what drove him up to New, New Hampshire. Maybe we could find that out if we had him on the show, but uh, he is from Georgia. He's originally from Georgia, the state below me. And uh, so I'm thinking about bringing Charlie on if he'll, if he'll honor us with his presence and talking uh, about some things, specifically biblical interpretation. And I look, I know some people think, oh, well, you're, you're supposed to be a political show. No, friends, we're a Christian show. We have to deal with politics because it's going on in our world, and we always point you back to dealing with the resolve and the solution for that, which is, I think, mainly found in the Bible. But there are provisions in our Constitution whereby we can do that. So we're not a political show. We are a Christian show here. And so uh, biblical interpretation is very important. Because your understanding of what Scripture says is going to affect your view of politics. It's going to affect it. And if it doesn't, you don't ha- you're not reading from the right Bible. <laughs> I just I don't know what, what to tell you. Uh, it's like the guys... I ran into something the other day. Um, I think it was one of the videos. It was either mine or Bradley's. I just ran across a conversation that was going on in the comment section and we got some people popping in here i i just i I, what is it that people don't read and understand about the the person known as cain does your bible not say in genesis 401 that adam knew his wife and she conceived and brought forth a son and his name was cain is that not what your bible says these people come in and say no eve had sex with the serpent with satan how exactly does that work? I just want to know. Because my Bible tells me, and I'm not meaning to get off on a rabbit trail here, but my Bible tells me that when God created all things, whether it was beasts, whether it was plants, whether it was things in the, in the, in the water or, what, or the birds in the air, all of them produce after their own kind. They produce after their own kind. The Bible calls Cain a man. Calls him a man. In fact, Eve says, I've received from the Lord a man. She thinks she got the one promised in Genesis 3.15. That's what she thinks. That's not what happened, but that's what she thinks. I've received from the Lord a man, not a snake man. Again, this... This can go into other places where people want to come up with all kinds of hybrids and this, that, and that. I'm just telling you, people, men produce after men. You know, and for people who want to try to regard race and ethnicity as, you know, this thing that, I, I I don't know how people are trying to put it. 
They're trying to make it make things confusing. But if you take somebody from a different culture and you put them with somebody from a different culture and they get married, are they what are they going to produce? Well, they're going to produce people. They're going to produce mankind. That's what they're going to produce, right? Boys and girls. <laughs> That's what they're going to produce. They're not going to produce lizards and they're not going to produce um, you know cows and horses and stuff like that. They're just not. And yet, that's, this is some of the stuff that we get. Anyway, let's get to the topic. John chapter 15, that's where we're going to start. So if you're listening by way of radio, John chapter 15 is where we're going to be. Uh, we're going to move into John chapter 16 briefly, and then over to Acts chapter 1, 10, 19. We'll finish up in the book of Revelation. Um, and, and we're just going to read this, because, I, I, again, I think reading it, making little points here and there, is helpful for the hearer uh, who who may say, okay, what are we talking about here? Well, we're talking about the ascension of Christ. Now, why is that an important doctrine? Is it as important as the resurrection? Well, Paul makes much about the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, you know, if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, then we of all men, those of us who are following Christ, uh, are most pitiable. I mean, if Jesus isn't really alive, then we're a bunch of fools. I, I, that's just the way it is. But he is alive. And in, first, and in John chapter 15, here's what, we, here's what we come to. Remember, Jesus is there with his disciples, and he's speaking to them. And um, we're going to read this chapter, and we're going to move into 16. Because I think the word of the Lord is far more important than words that I can add here, okay? So, um, listen to what he says. Because this is the context. Remember, on this show, and I think in your own hearts and your own lives, context is king. Okay, it is. And so that's why, uh, you know, if you're new here, you say, Tim, why are you just reading a bunch of scriptures? Well, because I believe they're powerful, number one. And two, we read them so we get a context, because we got enough people running around here, both in the United States and in the world, who quote Scripture out of context, rip it out, come up with you know, doctrines nobody's ever heard, and then push them as though they're the most important things that you can find. Or they use them to point to their own messiahs or whatever the case may be. And of course, Jesus warned us about that kind of stuff, too, to be on guard about that. So here's what he says. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gathered them and gathered and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Now, understand, this is sort of... Um, uh, this would be akin to, you know, Jesus' farewell address, if you will. This is culmination leading up to his crucifixion, okay? 
and he's he's kind of laying all this stuff out before the disciples and you can just see these guys you can see them if you think about their mindset their mindset is okay we're having a passover this is great now you got all serious on us and you're telling us this stuff about vines and branches and words abiding in and all this stuff that you've been you kind of been saying some of this stuff before but you've been saying it a different way and I mean you just you got to get in you got to get the mindset of the disciples. They do not believe the next morning that Jesus is going to be crucified and that by the next afternoon he's going to be dead. His body's going to be dead. He's going to be alive in the spirit. His body's going to be dead. They still don't get it. He's taken the bread. He's taken the cup. He's told them this is a new covenant in my blood which is shed for many. And they don't get it. They don't. They don't get it. It's kind of like Matthew 24, and they come and ask him about the end of the age and all of that. They're not, they're not thinking. I'm amazed at people who interpret that as a second coming. I mean, as a somehow in our, in our future second coming. Oh, Jesus came a second time, just like he said he would. But I'm amazed at the people who will do that because these guys don't believe he's going to die that week. <laughs> they don't believe it. They're not even thinking in that in that area, even though he's told them time and time again. They don't believe they're not they don't they're not believing that word. It's kind of either they hear it and they didn't listen to it, or they just ignored what he said there. I don't know. I know how men are, but this is what happens. So, John chapter 15. He says, verse 8, Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. Hmm. Now, now, I want you to pay attention to that. He tells the disciples that they're his disciples. And how is he, how is he showing that? That they bear much fruit, right? Jesus said when he told the, the story of the, the sower, he said, Some brought forth 30, 60, and 100 fold, right? Sometimes trees produce like ridiculous amounts of apples, pears, oranges, whatever the case may be, and then sometimes they're kind of scarce, aren't they? But they still produce, right? They still produce. And this is what Jesus is telling them. If you're my, if you're a disciple of Christ, you will bear fruit. If you don't bear fruit, you might want to examine what kind of tree you are. Okay? Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. Oh, you claim to be in the love of God, but you don't keep his commandments? Again, you might want to examine what kind of tree you are. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, see, see the parallel there? Christ keeps himself in the Father and in his love by what? Keeping his commandments. What are Christians supposed to do? Seek to keep his commandments. Abide in his love. Abide in him. Abide in his word. All of those things go together. If you're not doing the abiding in his love, abiding in his word, you're not going to be keeping his commandments and bearing fruit. You're just not going to do it. These things have I written, or these things I have spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Huh. I got some joy for you. 
I got some joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart, right? That's what he's saying. You have my joy in you, and your joy will be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this. You think you've loved somebody? Jesus says, there's no greater love than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And then he tells them, ye are my friends, if, this is, there's a, they should make this capital. <laughs> if, like a big if right in the middle of there. If you do whatsoever I command you. Hmm. Do you call yourself the friend of God? A friend of Jesus? Are you doing what he commanded? Henceforth, I call you not servants. For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Oh, I know you free will advocates out there. I know you're wanting to chomp at the bit to just smack that down, aren't you? But that's the words of the Lord. You didn't choose him. No more than I did. He chose us. And he ordained you. He's talking to the disciples here. Look, the application is the same. Even though he's speaking to the disciples, the application is the same. God chooses us. We talked about this uh, last week. Was it on Friday? No, Thursday. Sorry. We talked about this on Thursday, God's electing grace. And he ordained you that you should go out and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. Now, there's still some more here to go, but I want to ask you something. He's telling them to bear fruit. He's telling them to remain in Him. He's telling them to remain in His love, right? He's telling them, you know, glorify the Father here by bearing that fruit. And He mixes in some theology in the midst of it. You didn't choose me. I chose you. Ordained you for these things. How are they supposed to do this? How are they supposed to obey what Jesus has said? How are they supposed to do that? Well, Tim, they just obey. They muster it up. They get their self-will. They got to get their, uh, their uh, what's that guy's name? Uh, Robinson guy. Uh, positive thinking dude. Selling stuff. What? God, I forget what his name is. Anyway, somebody will put it in the chat, I know. You guys will help me out. He's not doing that. He's not pulling uh, Trump's pastor's uh, NLP program. He's not trying to do something like that. He's telling them, you're going to do this. This is going to happen. But how's it going to happen? I mean, this is a ragtag bunch of guys that he's got here. Fishermen, tax collectors. You know, these are not the guys who are the cream of the crop, per se, out in society, this is what he has. Tony Robbins, thank you. <laughs> Robinson, where did that come from? Tony Robbins, thank you. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't that. It's nothing like that. He's telling them these things, and then he's going to tell them how they're going to do it. So that's why this context is important, okay? This is exactly why it's important. And I, I, I hope you see that. I, I really hope you see that. So he goes on, verse 18, If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. So he encourages them. 
Uh, you know, I used to tell my kids when they were little, I, I said, if you want to if you want to really follow Jesus, you're probably not going to have a lot of friends. And so you should be thankful to God for every friend you do have that'll stick with you. And it's kind of interesting because you I watch and I see you know my 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 kids don't have a huge circle of friends, but they do have friends, both Christian and non-Christian. And from what I've seen and from talking to some of them who've come over to the house, uh, I see that even among Christians and, uh, and non-Christians, they have a respect for how my kids conduct themselves and the things that they, they do believe. And I'm grateful to God for that. I really am. But he, he does tell them, he says, the world hated me, it's going to hate you. Guess it's possible some of these kids may be some of those being drawn to the Father, like what we talked about the other day. I don't know. I don't know. He goes on and he says, If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. And if they have kept me, if they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. Why are they doing the things to disciples? Because they don't know God. They don't know God. They're of their father, the devil. This is what Jesus was saying in John chapter uh, 8. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. I mean, Jesus isn't giving you anywhere to run. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. He didn't say they just have a little dislike. They hate him. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. But when the Comforter, so he brings in the Spirit. This is, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, when the Comforter, that's his that's his word for the Spirit, is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. What's the Holy Spirit going to do? He's going to make testimony that bears witness to Christ. That's what he's going to do. And ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. Okay, now we move to chapter 16 of John, and here's what we read. A little more about the Comforter and what he does. And this is important building up to the doctrine of the ascension of Christ. These things have I spoken unto you, that ye should not be offended, they put you. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God a service. They thought they were doing that with Jesus, didn't they? Paul thought he was doing that with persecuting and killing Christians, didn't he? I mean, that's what the Scriptures tell us. And these things will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, ye may remember that I told you of them, and these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go my way to him that sent me. And none of you asketh me, Whither goest thou? 
See, because they don't think he's going to die. They don't think he's going to die. Keep that, you have to keep that in mind when you're reading some of these passages that people want to jump out and make futuristic and all this kind of stuff. These guys aren't thinking about that at all. Neither is Jesus. But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient. It is, it is necessary. It's, this has to happen for you. It's expedient for you that I go away. For if I do not go away, or if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. So Jesus tells them, he says, I've got to go. i got to go. If I don't go, the Spirit of God is not going to come to you. And then we're not going to accomplish all that I'm wanting to accomplish in this world. So, verse 8. And when he has come, he will... Re- what does the Spirit of God do? How, do? how can you test the spirits to see if they're from God? Well, the Spirit of God reproves the world of sin. It calls out their sin. It states what God says is a violation of his law. And then he's going to reprove the world of righteousness. He's going to point them to what is righteous, what is holy. Yet we're going to use the law, yet we're going to use the Christ. The law is what God's standard is. The Christ is the one who fulfilled that standard. And then the Spirit of God is going to reprove the world of judgment. He's going to tell them that they're going to answer for their crimes against their Creator. And He calls them to repentance. The point is not to just point fingers. The world's already condemned, Jesus said, John chapter 3, right? But the point is to hold that up so that you can bring them the remedy for their sin. Verse 9, he tells us, of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. How be it? When he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine, and therefore said I that he shall take of mine, and shall show it, Unto you. A little while, and ye see and ye shall see uh, and ye shall not see me, and again a little while, and ye shall see me, because I go to the Father. I go to the Father. Now we move over into Acts chapter one. Jesus has told them this. Uh, he's gone to be crucified later. He was buried. Three days later, he resurrected. He came and showed up to them, uh, even in a locked up a room. Uh, he ate before them to show them it was really him. Let him put his hands in his, the nail prints in his hands, in his side. 
He showed up with them. More than 500 in one place, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, saw him after his resurrection. All of that is, is a big deal. It's a big deal. And so, we read in the Gospels that he is there and that people see him. They see him after his resurrection. And then in Acts chapter 1, remember, Acts is written by Luke. He's not, an, he's not one of the apostles here. He's not one of the disciples. He's a doctor. He's also a journalist, uh, because you'll see in his writings here, both in the Gospel of Luke and the, the book of Acts, he's writing to this fellow named Theophilus uh, so that his faith will be strong in what he's heard about Jesus. And so Luke goes around and he asks questions of people, eyewitnesses of the accounts of things that he's writing about, and he documents them. He's a, he's a real journalist, okay, uh, in those days. And this is what we read, Acts chapter 1. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, that's the gospel of Luke, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he threw the Holy Ghost, had given commandments. So, again, some people may get a little confused here. They go, well, wait a minute, the Spirit, wasn't he there the day of baptism? And the Father spoke, yep, that he was there. And the Spirit lighted upon him like a dove, and it empowered the Spirit empowered him throughout his ministry. There's no question about that. It's the same Spirit. In fact, Jesus uses those kind of terms there in the Gospel of John when he says that he is of the same essence as me. It's the same Spirit. He, well, it doesn't mean he's... It doesn't mean he's... Um, I don't know what the word is I'm trying to say here. It doesn't mean he's me. It means he's of the same essence as me. He's God. He's of the Godhead. We reference him as the third person, if you will, of the Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Just as uh, the end of Matthew, where he says, you baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They all have the same name. What is that name? It's the covenant name of God, Yahweh. They have the same name. So, he says this, and then he goes on, and he says, he goes, he goes to write this, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days. So it wasn't like, you know, after the resurrection, Jesus pops in, you know, on one little session or even two little sessions of the disciples' meeting. No, 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 they, they, he was seen for forty days. And speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. Now, what is that promise? We just got through reading it, guys. What is the promise, class? <laughs> It's open book test, right? The promise is the Holy Spirit. That's what we just read in John chapter 15 and 16. It is the comforter, the paraclete. He is the one who comes to indwell those disciples, to lead them into all truth. Okay? They're to wait for him. They're to wait for that promise. Now, we know, and we're going to read it here in a second, that, that that occurred some 50 days or so after the ascension. This is why the ascension is so important. And I'm going to make that point in just a second. Well, let me go ahead and make it now. The ascension is important because Jesus said he was going to do something, didn't he? He said he was going to do several things. 
uh, we go back to the kingdom series, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, what are we going to find? We're going to find that Jesus said he was coming to destroy Jerusalem. It was going to happen in that generation. Did it happen? Yeah. That's, that's one way we know that Jesus ascended, that he took the throne the way he said he would do it, was the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. The coming of the Spirit is the more pertinent, you know, short-term thing that shows us that Jesus ascended and he made it back. Because this is an important question. Who, what is Satan called? He's called the prince and the power of the air, isn't he? The prince and the power of the air. How do we know that Jesus didn't get, you know, bum-rushed, I don't know, somewhere up in the clouds after he got out of sight and Satan didn't let him get there? Well, we have Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Verse 5. For truly John baptized, or for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Hmm. Not even two months later. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, Wilt thou at this time? They still don't get stuff. I know some people make a big deal out of this, all the futurism stuff and everything, but they still don't get, even though all that, they just don't get it yet. They don't get it, okay? They haven't received the Spirit yet. So this is why they're asking this thing like this. Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? I can just see Jesus kind of shaking his head going, I told you guys about this stuff. I mean, I told you. what. And he just kind of, he doesn't ignore the question, but listen to how he answers it. And he said unto them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons. It's not for you to know that. Now, I hear people saying, we know the times and seasons. What Jesus said, no, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> Which the Father hath put in his own power. But... It's not for you to know what you're asking about. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and other, unto the uttermost part of the earth. It, it, so I, I want you to get it. it Jesus is not interested in telling them about restoring the kingdom of Israel. He's not interested in telling them that. No matter how many Bible prophecy teachers want to tell you this stuff, he's not interested in that. He's telling them it's not for you to know this stuff, which the Father hath put in his own power. But it is important that you understand you're going to receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and your task is not about what you're asking about, it's about being witnesses unto me throughout all of the earth. And did they do that? Yeah, Paul tells us in the book of uh, uh, Colossians, I believe it is, that the gospel was preached to every creature under heaven in the first century. That's according to the, the Word of God. If you don't believe that, if you still think that there's all this other stuff going on, and it's got to be done before Jesus comes on, you're missing what the Scriptures say itself. You're missing that. Paul says all creatures under heaven had the gospel preached to them in the first century. They had, they had it done. It was preached to them. And how did they do that? In the power of the Holy Ghost that they received from Christ. Again, why is that important? Well, 
Read verse 9, Acts chapter 1. And when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. Now, a lot of people take that and they, you know, want to make it about a physical body or some people might want to make it about a cloud. You know, he comes in, he left in the cloud, he's going to come back in a cloud and all this kind of stuff. The point is, it's, is that it's Jesus. He's coming in like manner. Now, I'm going to tell you, in seeing everything that I've seen, I can't believe he came back in a cloud just like he said. Matthew 24, I mean, he said he was going to do it, and he did it. Brought about the destruction of Jerusalem as a judgment against them. That's what he said, that's what he accomplished. But let me give you a couple of other examples to let you know about this spirit, this comforter that Jesus talks about. So I want to go to a couple of passages here in the book of Acts. Give you, I'm going to read the context. So we're going to read quite a bit here. We may go over a little bit today. Um, Acts chapter 10. I mean, we can, go, we can go to Acts chapter 2, and we'll see there that the Spirit came. Uh, so let's... I didn't do that because I was reading off of uh, chapter 1, obviously, but chapter 2 tells us. Let's just hit this real quick, and then we're going to jump right into chapter 10. This is Acts chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind that filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the, who is that? The Holy Ghost. The promise that God gave that Jesus gave himself to them. And they began to speak with other tongues, and they weren't engaged in gibberish like some of the stuff you see on TV, okay? They were speaking actual languages, known languages. How do I know that? Later on when you get down here, you'll see they're, the people hear him speaking in their language. They were filled with the Holy Ghost, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, and there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. They heard them speak in their own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our tongue, our own tongue, wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes, Elamites, and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and in Pontus and in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, in Egypt and in parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. We're hearing from them. These guys are not learned men. How are we hearing this stuff? And some of them just went and started mocking them. Verse 13, these men are full of new wine. They're drunk. 
Peter has to stand up. I mean, he's the fisherman, right? He's the rough, he's the roughneck of the bunch. Standing up with the eleven, lift those voices said unto them, Ye men of Judea, all ye who dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words, for these are not drunken as ye suppose. Your assumption, boy, if there is something, I'm gonna tell you what, if there's something that really gets my goat, it's assumptions. And look, I've been guilty of them too. But assumptions that lead to wrong conclusions, you need to be careful of. You really need to be careful of. And Peter calls out their assumption, and he says, they're not drunk like you're supposed. Seeing is but the third hour of the day. Come on, guys. It's early in the morning. They're not drunk. Even in those days, people who wanted to be engaged in debauchery and drunkenness and stuff like that, they were doing it usually at night. Or they were going somewhere, you know, if they were in some kind of religious ritual and stuff like that, they were doing it in a temple. They weren't doing it out in the open. Instead, he says, this is what, this is that. This is that. That's a phrase you ought to get. That way, when you interpret a scripture and you show it for what it is, you say, this is that. If you're using it for application, you say, this is not that, but this applies as a result of my understanding of a proper interpretation. Okay? He says, um, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Hmm. Peter quotes Joel in his reference to the last days as there in the first century. And he says, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall, drink, shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out on those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and the signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon into blood, before the great and terrible, or excuse me, great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then Peter launches into his famous sermon that he gives there in which several thousand people, uh, their souls are saved. Uh, catch us on SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, Sons of Liberty Radio Live at Rumble, and also on BeforeIt'sNews.com if you want to finish up with it. We won't keep you long, uh, but there are a couple of passages we're going to go through. So we'll do that. Catch Bradley at 3, and then we'll see you in the morning, bright and early, Lord willing. Talk to you then, 6 a.m. All right, I want to welcome everybody coming over from Red State Talk Radio. So you see here that Peter recognizes this is the fulfillment of the promise of what Jesus said there in John chapter 15 and 16. This is the Spirit. This is what Jesus was talking about, but it's also what Joel talked about. Old Testament prophet Joel. This is that. So see, I don't need, look, I don't need... Some commentator giving me a long line of stuff uh, about what Jesus is talking about here. Why? Because Peter tells us, or Luke tells us through Peter, that Peter is interpreting Joel for us. He's saying, what you guys are listening to, what you're witnessing, is what Joel spoke about. Pretty simple stuff, right? I mean, it's, it really is pretty simple. Okay, so this same Spirit is not just given to the disciples, okay? And it's not just given to the Jews of the day who were there, because we, we did read that. There were Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, right? They'd come there for the feasts that were taking place over that 
week or weekend or where, whenever that fell. But what about the Gentiles? Hmm. Well, let's read about that. Acts chapter 10. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. Wonder if they had any top forty hits. I, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. Um, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God away. Oh, excuse me, away. He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming to him or coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him. Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now, send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. And he lodged with, Peter, he lodged with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside, and he shall tell thee what thou oughtst to do. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. And on the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven open and a certain vessel descending upon him, as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that called not thou common. This was done thrice. So three times this happens. You get a blanket comes down. You get all these animals, clean and unclean. Rise, kill, and eat. And Peter's like, yeah, I'm, I, I don't do that. That's not what I do. Hmm. Thrice it was done, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now when Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. You see, this is not so much about what's clean and unclean eating foods. I, I don't think that's what this is about at all. Because the, 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 the foods, there was this picture in the Old Covenant of what was clean and unclean. And the Gentiles were referred to as unclean. They were seen as unclean. Okay? God is showing him that now the Gentiles are accepted too. This isn't just about Israel uh, in, in the sense of a geopolitical state. This is about a people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, as the book of Revelation has. This is about inheriting the heathen, as the psalmist says, about the Son, about what Jesus will do. Ask of me and I'll give you the heathen for, their inheritance, for your inheritance. And so here's what, he, here's what he's doing. God is showing Peter he accepts the Gentiles too. And he showed him in a vision. Now he's going to show him in reality. So what do we see? And now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision, which he had seen, should mean, 
means Peter didn't get the idea that, well, we just go eat everything that we want to eat. That's not what he had. He was, he's going like, what, what is this about? Behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing. Now, who's telling him this? That paraclete, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, the one who was to come, that Jesus said he would send when he got back to the Father, right? So catch this. If Jesus didn't make it to the Father, how is the Spirit coming on Pentecost? How is the Spirit working through Peter here? How is the Spirit going to work in the disciples of John we'll read about in just a second? How is he doing all that? See, this is an important doctrine, isn't it? It's very important. If Jesus didn't really ascend to the Father, if Jesus really didn't take his place on the throne, if he didn't beseech the Father to send the Spirit, it wouldn't have happened. If the prince and the power of the air took him out, going up, none of this would have happened. But it did, didn't it? It did. Acts chapter 10, again, let's pick up here. Verse 20, Arise and get, down, get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius and said, Behold, I am he whom you seek. What is the cause wherefore ye are come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one that feareth God, and of good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by it. I'm assuming Cornelius was probably, uh, he might have been a proselyte, maybe, I, I, I don't know. But he definitely was one who was familiar with the teachings uh, in the Old Covenant. Uh, he was one that feared God. He was a just man. He had a good report among the Jews. I mean, he's a centurion. He's a Roman centurion. But he's got a good report among the Jews, and the Jews don't like the Romans. Okay? He was warned from God by a holy angel to send for thee into this house and to hear words of thee. <laughs> Cornelius sends this guy and says, this angel told me to go get this guy. I don't know who he is. Bring him here. We got to hear what he says. And he called them in and lodged them. And on the morrow, Peter went away with them. And certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the morrow, after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them and had called together his kinsmen and near friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up. I myself also am a man. Now, let me just drop a little political thing in here. Both myself and Bradley brought up this stuff about this new, this Trump thing, this 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 video where they take the Paul Harvey uh, God made a farmer and they do God made God gave us Trump or something. This is blasphemous. And Trump redoes it. He retweets it out. He retweets it out. Whatever the thing is on his platform, uh, he does that. He he's retweeted that he's like the second coming of God. Uh, he doesn't speak out against those who would call him a Christ. Uh, or the Son of Man, or the Word made flesh, or any of these kind of banners. He doesn't do any of that. He, he, he like, absorbs that worship. And it is worship. He doesn't tell them, cut that out. You guys knock it off. I'm a man. He doesn't do that. Peter does. 
Peter takes the guy up and he says, knock it off, man. I'm just a guy. I'm just a man. Okay? Verse 27. And as he talked with him, he went in, found many that were come together. And he said unto them, ye know how that it is an unlawful thing. I mean, listen to this. It is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. It's wrong for me to be here in this house full of Gentiles. This is wrong. And he says, you guys know it. You've heard about it. But God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Okay, so listen to the... Uh, you guys got to get You got to get this part. You really got to get this part. Because I listen to preachers, and they say, well, this just means we can eat everything we want. I mean, and that's what they pull out of this passage of the sheet. Remember, Peter did not know what that meant before. Remember, he was contemplating it. We read that earlier. He didn't know what the dream meant. He didn't get it right off the bat, but he's got it now, and what it, he interprets the dream for us in the pages of Scripture under the inspiration of the very Spirit we're talking about. Verse 28, And God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. He didn't say anything about food. He said about man. How did God show him? What's the context? God showed him in the vision that he gave him. He showed him that men were not unclean you know, in the ceremonial fashion that you read in the Old Covenant. And Peter gets it, and Peter interprets it for us. That vision that I had, it was about me seeing that I can go to the Gentiles. That I'm not going to be unclean by hanging around with those guys. That, that's, that, he's interpreting it for us. Therefore came, and here's, we're getting to the crescendo here. Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying, as soon as I was sent for. I asked therefore for what intent ye have sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard. And then alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Here is a guy, he's not even, I mean, he's believing whatever he's been taught so far. He's acting on that. He's a doer. God has seen it. Cornelius obviously wasn't doing it to show off. That wasn't the issue, but God saw it. And then he said, Send therefore to Joppa, and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's lodged in the house of one Simon, a tanner by the seaside, who when he cometh shall speak unto thee. Immediately therefore I sent to thee, and thou hast well done thou, that thou art come. Now therefore are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. <laughs> it's like, I was just told to call on you, man. I was told to call on you, and you got something you got to tell us. And we're ready. We're, we're sitting here. We're ready to hear it. Tell us what you got to tell us. I mean, Cornelius has no idea what's going on as far as what Peter's going to say, but he's called him in here. And here's what he says. Peter opened his mouth and said, of a truth I perceive that God has no respecter of persons. You think? <laughs> but in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. 
That word I say, ye know, which was published throughout all Judea and began. Listen, I mean, here's Peter affirming writings that have been put out throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with, uh, who's this guy? The Holy Ghost. And with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all these things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remissions of sin. So what did Peter do? Peter gave the gospel message as an eyewitness to that message. He was affirming what he had seen and what he had heard. That's what Peter was doing. And as he spoke this word, what happened? What happened here? While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. Whew. And they of the circumcision, that's Peter and his guys that came with him, which believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. How did they know it? What, what, what did it look like at this time? Well, he says, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Eh. Where, where, where did we find that out? Oh, that was back over there in Acts chapter 1, wasn't it? I mean, Acts chapter 2, I'm sorry. That, that same Spirit gave them languages to magnify and glorify God, speak the wonderful things of God, didn't they? Didn't he? Didn't he do that? Yeah, now he's done that to the Gentiles. There's lots of talk about sign gifts. They confirm the word, this new covenant that's coming, that's being implemented, that's being put in, into place uh, to do away with the old covenant. And these gifts confirm that word. This is what's going on here. Peter's just preaching that covenant, isn't he? He's preaching that new covenant gospel. That's what he's preaching and all of a sudden, he sees evidence that the same God who gave him the Spirit and all the people in the upper room has given it to the Gentiles. The same Spirit. Now again, I ask you, how does one get the Spirit? It's because it's been, he's been sent from the Father by the Son after his ascension. Again, this confirms that Jesus did ascend back to the Father. Because the Spirit not only showed up at Pentecost, it showed up here among the Gentiles, Cornelius. Another one is in um, uh, Acts chapter 19. And you've got, you, you've got people who've been following John, John the Baptist, um, but they haven't received the Spirit yet. Here's what we read. 
And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. What, what was John's baptism? It was a baptism of repentance, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about twelve. And then he, after he finished that, he went to the synagogue, he spoke boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. Ah. They preached the kingdom of God, friends. The gospel message is a, go is a message about a kingdom and about a king. <laughs> That's what that message is about. But I want you to notice here, there were signs that accompanied the Spirit of God here. Mainly we see tongues. In this passage we see and prophesied. That could be taken there probably in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 2 as well because what did they do? What is, the, what, is the, what is the idea of prophecy? It's about speaking forth the things of Christ, right? That is the spirit of prophecy. Speaking about the things of Christ, of what he has accomplished, of what he's done. So here are guys who presumably would be of the nation of Israel. They were certainly uh, followers of John the Baptist, and yet, in this situation, and this isn't going on all the time. This isn't going on like this all the time. This is why you have to be careful of people who take, and I guess our uh, our background around out there just a little bit. <laughs> uh, you have to take what's being said and say, okay, this has happened at two places here we see in Scripture. It's not a common thing. And then you start seeing that stuff begin to not be so prominent. It's not that God can't use those things. I believe. Look, I've heard stories where... God supernaturally empowered people to speak other languages in areas they were in. But for most people, at least missionary-wise, they go into a land to spend years there just to learn the language so they can maybe create an alphabet, write the scriptures, translate the scriptures, any of this kind of stuff. And you'll see some of this. I forget the place. It's down here in North Carolina or South Carolina, uh, but they do translations Um and they have a lot of missionaries throughout the world, and they're constantly looking to translate the scriptures into other languages that they don't have. So, you know, nor the normal means that God would use would be, you know, people learn language, they go do these things. But there are times where there are supernatural occurrences where God empowers a person by His Spirit in order to speak another language. That obviously happened in these passages here. But what else happened in that ascension? Because we see the promise that Christ had, right? Gosh, we're already at 20 minutes after. All right. <laughs> I thought I was reading faster. Sorry. <laughs> Just two more passages and we'll close out. Um, what is it that we see? Well, Revelation chapter 4. Here's what we read. 
After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, uh, was as it were a trumpet talking with me, which saith, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Now, i got to tell you, if you have a preacher, a teacher, a pastor, whoever, telling you this is the rapture and stuff, that's not anywhere in the context. Okay, That has nothing to do with what's going on here. Okay, There's nothing to do with that at all. It's not even anything remotely close or similar, okay? John's just called up. Remember, he's been on the Isle of Patmos. Uh, now he's, he's written seven letters for Jesus to the seven churches in Asia Minor. That's chapters 2 and 3. And now in chapter 4, he's being called up because he's going, he's going to be shown some things. This is, what he, this is what happens. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set. A throne! What's what's a throne imply? A throne implies there is a king, right? Kings have thrones. Right? Kings have thrones. So there's a throne there. It was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. So there's a king on the throne in heaven that he sees. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. Now, just... Hear me when I say this. This is why it bothers me. It bothers me tremendously. Artist renditions of Jesus. What did God tell us in the commandments? Don't make carved images. I think that includes paintings, photographs, AI imagery, whatever the case may be, of anything that is in heaven above, that is in the earth beneath, that is in the waters under the earth. Don't bow yourself down to them. Don't serve them. Don't make them. Don't serve them. That's what he says. That's the command. And yet I see people have these artist renditions of Jesus. Let me ask you something. Do they look like this description that John sees? Better yet, go back to Revelation chapter 1. Does it look like that description? Sorry, I, I just took a rabbit trail here. But I, I do think it's an important thing because I see this all the time. And this is one of the things I struggle with probably the most uh, in doing website stuff is because some people will write on a subject and then it's kind of like you're trying to get an image of that you want to put for that article. And when you put some stuff in, all you get are these artists' rendition of Jesus, which are not a rendition of Jesus. They're a figment of their imagination. And um, so in, in John chapter 1, this is how we see Jesus. I'll get back to John chapter 4, but I just took this little trail here just to make this point. Maybe somebody needs to hear it. Maybe I just need to hear it. I preach to myself often. I really do. Revelation chapter 1, verse 12. And I turned to see the voice. Now, the voice that he's hearing is Jesus Christ himself. That spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden lamps or candlesticks. And the midst of the seven candlesticks, those are the churches. We read that at the end of the chapter. One like unto the Son of Man. And that's not Donald Trump, by the way. That's Jesus the Christ. Okay? Clothed with a garment down to the foot and gird about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were like white, were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound 
of many waters, and in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Let me ask you something. When, when was the last time you saw an artist's rendition of Jesus like that? I have seen some people try to pull it off. But even at those, I still sit there and go, you, you diminish the glory of him. You, you diminish his glory. He does not look like what he looked like on the earth. He doesn't. And this is why we're not to come up with idols, things that we think it might look... Because whatever we think, guys, is wrong. It's, whatever we think about that is wrong. If the Bible tells us that whatever Jesus has prepared for those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose, it hasn't entered into their mind or their heart. So if you think it, if you think you know what it is, this is what gets me about these people writing books about, you know, going to heaven and all this. It's like, dude, it hadn't even entered into your mind or your heart. You had, you can have no words to write a book for. You just, you don't have them. The Bible tells me it's never entered into your mind or your heart. Pretty serious stuff, though. So, let's go back here into Revelation chapter 4. Sorry, I got off on that just a little bit there. But that is something that does bother me. It really does. So, John gets up to the throne room. That's what he sees, verse 3. And he that sat was to look upon like jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold, and out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voice. This does not look like, um, you know, what you hear from the modern preachers, does it? This looks like a pretty frightening scene that John is looking at. Lightnings and thunderings and voices coming out of the throne. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And behold, the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne, round about the throne, were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast like the face of a man. And the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the, fourth, and the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within. Excuse me just a second. Getting dry here again. And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne, and worship him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Hmm. And I saw in the right hand of him, we're back, we're into chapter 5 of Revelation here, and I saw in, in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. 
And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loosen the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Hallelujah. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. We're not going to get into all the imagery here, okay? We could take time to do some of that, uh, but realize that what John is seeing is happening sort of in a vision form. He's being called up in heaven. He's seeing these things. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts, and, and clearly the lamb here is Christ, slain from before the foundation of the world. Clearly he is the one, he is the lion of the tribe of Judah, right? He is the root of David, David. he is the son of David. This is who we're talking about here. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the land, having every one of them harps and gold vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God. That's how we know the Lamb is Jesus Christ. They're telling, He was slain and you redeemed us unto God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Yep. You know what, guys? Just for the people who don't get it, even people out of the area they call Palestine, even Iranians, even Russians, even Chinese, even Japanese, even North Koreans, God has his people in all those places. It's why we must be faithful in preaching the gospel in all the places that we go. Because he redeems a people out of every tribe, kindred, tongue, people, nation. He's done that. Here's what else he says. And has made us unto our God kings and priests, or like Peter says, a kingdom of priests. And we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders and the number of men or the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000. It's like, in the original language here, it's, it's myriads and myriads. It's, you could say millions and millions. I don't even know if they had the term for millions back then. Thousands and thousands upon 10,000s. It's a lot. Okay? Some people think heaven's going to be kind of empty because, well, the, broad, the, the way is broad and it leads and there are many there go and there's a lot of people going down that road. There's going to be a lot of people before the throne. There's going to be myriads and myriads and millions and millions and billions of people before the throne, giving praise to the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb who's there with him as well, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing, and every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, I mean, John's hearing this. 
blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and forever. But I want you to notice the Christ, the Lamb, is right there on the throne with the Father. He's right there with him. He's receiving praise and glory. Only God does that. Oh my goodness, only God gets praise and glory. He doesn't tell them to stop, no, nah, knock it off, I'm just a man. He doesn't do what Paul did up here, did he? Or, yeah, he doesn't do that. Or Peter, sorry about that. <clears throat> he doesn't say, knock it off, I'm just a man. No, 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 he receives that because he's worthy to receive it. Last one, Revelation chapter 19. And here we see, well, here's another one. <laughs> here's another one. John, what are you doing? Ah. He's received all these visions, revelation here. And here's what we read. Verse 10, he's, he's got an angel showing him this stuff. And John, the apostle John, I fell at his feet to worship him. The angel, not the lamb, not the one who sits on the throne, right? And he said unto me, See thou do it not. Would you guys knock it off? I am thy fellow servant. He doesn't say he's a man. He says he's a fellow servant. And of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus, worship God. For the te Look, if you're a person out there, you're infatuated with angels and you're worshiping angels, you knock that stuff off. Knock it off. Repent. Quit doing that. That's sinful. They're not worthy of worship. They're created being a fellow servant just like you and me. And of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus, worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. This is what I was talking about a minute ago. When you preach Christ crucified, when you sit and you talk with a friend and you proclaim out of your lips the gospel message about Christ, you are engaged in the spirit of prophecy because you are saying what the prophet said about the Christ. And, of course, also what the apostles said, the eyewitnesses there to the Christ. Isn't that interesting as to what it says here? Testimony of Jesus, spirit of prophecy, and I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was faithful, was called faithful and true. Now, this is the one that he saw earlier in the vision who was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Same guy. And in righteousness, he doth judge and make war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he hath a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Oh, wouldn't this would be a nice picture, right? I mean, if somebody wants to try to be biblical here. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. This does not look like little effeminate, pansy, you know, Jesus that's depicted to us, does it? This looks like a king leading a major army, and he's a frightful king, too. Eyes as flames of fire. He's got, you know, we read it earlier, the, the, the thighs of He's got the, the feet of bronze like they've been burning in an oven. He's got the eyes of fire. He's got hair this white as wool. His sun is shining like, or his face is shining like the sun. His voice is like that of many waters. 
Yeah, let's see some artists do some stuff like that, if that's what they want to do. I, I don't... S- still, I think God gave us a word book, not a picture book. And if you want to know where the picture books start coming from, you need to look no further than Rome. Rome was the one who started developing. This is why you got the stained glass with all the little images and all that stuff up there. That, that You stick to the Word of God. But it's not just that. Look at what else. These armies are following him in verse 15, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And by the way, Revelation chapter 3, go and read it. He says that he already has that rod of iron there in the first century. He already had it. And he said, those who overcome will, will also sit in the throne like I did with my father, and he'll rule with me with a rod of iron that, are, that I'm already ruling with. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Yeah, where's this Jesus being preached at in churches? This king, this sovereign king, this sovereign judge, who meets out the wrath of God upon sinners. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. Why is the ascension important? Well, think about it. What happens when somebody becomes king? Here, recently, we had, we saw uh, Charles over there in England. And we see he has a coronation day, right? And he has to ascend to the throne to make his solemn oath, right, before God and man. And he has to ascend there and take that throne to be king. If he doesn't do that, if he's not going to take the oath, if he's not going to take the crown, if he's not going to sit on the throne, he is not going to be king. What's Jesus done? Did he make it to the throne? Oh, you bet your bottom dollar he did. Did he go back to the Father the way he said? Yep, he sure did. Did he get his answer? Did he get his prayer answered the way he prayed it in John chapter 17? Oh, yeah. Give me the glory I had with you, Father, before the world was made. Oh, yeah, he got it. This is why any kind of artist rendition of Jesus is always going to fall on its face when held to what the Scripture tells us about Jesus. It's always going to fall on its place. It's always going to be an idol because it's never going to be the real thing. It's never going to be the real thing. And so this is an important doctrine. The ascension of the Lord Jesus is very important. All these things are tied to it. The giving of the Holy Spirit is tied to it. The advancement of the gospel into the Gentile nations is tied to it. Judgment is tied to it. Salvation is tied to it. The continuing things that go on in history is tied to it. Because if Jesus is one, not raised from the dead, then we're all men most pitiable. That's what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus is raised from the dead. But it's not just that. It's that he ascended back to the Father. That he actually made it there. That he petitioned the Father on our behalf to send the Holy Spirit to us to lead us into all truth. And to empower us 
to keep his commandments. I know some people don't like that kind of language, but that's exactly what he does. Did Jesus turn you from your sin or did he leave you in it? Because if he left you in it, then you didn't meet the Jesus of the Scripture. The, the Jesus of the Scripture teaches you to forsake sin, to mortify the deeds of the flesh. He puts his finger on it and you go deal with it by the power he gives you, by that spirit that he gave you as he ascended to the throne. It's very important. And I hope that, you know, for some people who are listening, you're not a believer. I hope in the midst of it, you hear that there is a Savior from sin. That you need that. And if you'll but cry out for mercy and you'll turn from your sin... God will change your life. He really will. It'll be unlike anything you've known. It may even come as a surprise to you. And for those of you who are believers, I hope, I hope it's an encouragement to you. I hope more you understand why these things in their context mean what they mean. Why they're showing us these things. And I hope it empowers you. I hope it encourages you to recognize you have access to that spirit. God has given him to you. He is the holy paraclete. He is your... I don't want to say sidekick. That's not a thing. He, he comes alongside you, though. And he leads you in the way that you should go. We give God glory for that. Thanksgiving for his great gift to us in the Lord Jesus, uh, the Holy Spirit. Bradley, be with you at 3. And Lord willing, we'll be back with you in the morning, 6 a.m., bright and early. Talk to you then.